Welcome to School of PE Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Miller, and I'm so glad that you could join me this week. We are going to discuss topics about FE, PE, and SE, and we're also going to answer questions that will help students prepare for their exams. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the School of PE's podcast. Again, I'm Chris Miller, and today I got a special guest with me today, uh, a civil engineer, Mr. James Lindsay. So please give him a warm welcome, and let's kind of let him talk about himself before we get into the meat and potatoes of the day. How are you All doing, right. James? How's it going? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Great, great. Hey, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so like Chris said, my name is James Lindsay. I am originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I went to North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University, Aggie Pride, um, for my bachelor's degree in civil engineering. Then I went to the University of Arkansas, Boo um, Pig, for my master's in um, civil engineering. All right, exciting. So I got to ask you before we get too far into this podcast, me being a big Cleveland Indians fan, are you happy to, you're not an Atlanta Bra Braves fan, are you? Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. man, I haven't forgiven you guys for 95. So, uh, <laughs> but um, yep. for the sake of the podcast, we'll try to get along here, uh, Indians and a Braves fan. So, uh, sounds good to all me. Right. <laughs> all right. So, today, I guess we're going to talk about a little bit about transmission hardware assemblies and also some overhead transmission uh, structures here. So, this is kind of foreign to me. So, I'm going to kind of rely on you to kind of help uh, the audience better understand the topic for the day. So, let me start off with the first question here is, what is transmission line capacity and how do you forecast it? Well, um, there's a lot of different things that actually go into that. So um, transmission lines, you can look at it from several different ways. But most of the time when people are referring to transmission lines, they're referring to the overhead um, power lines that are carrying um, electrical current to businesses, to houses and to different parts of you know a state or region or, or whatever you may have. Uh, and so that is all going to depend on um, what they're designing for. Um, so that would be, I guess, your way for forecast forecasting. Um, you know, what types of wind loads are you designing for? Um, are you designing against any any earthquakes or anything of that nature? Ice, you know, how 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 thick of ice are you considering um, and stuff like that? Um, but then on top of that. Um, you're doing that for your structures, but you're also doing that for your conductors and your shield wire. Um, if you have any fiber and things of that nature as well. Interesting. So, you know, I know weather plays a big role in a lot of aspects of engineering, especially when it comes to maybe, you know, some of the transmission lines, power lines, things like that. So, you know, sometimes when in the winter you get the extreme cold where ice wrecks havoc or heavy rain. And then, of course, you have the summer where if it gets too hot, the load that, you know, people are, I guess, pushing for electricity kind of overwhelms the uh, the whole uh, system itself. So right. you kind of talk about in what ways the lines are affected by weather or climate. Yeah, so it's actually um, the whole thing. Every everything's affected by the weather just for the, just because of the simple fact that you know it is outside. Um, and and again, that's gonna play in. It's gonna basically be. It's gonna be based on you know where you're at. Um, some some regions you know will check things such as galloping, um, which is you know basically um, with the wind. And you don't have to have ice for it, but a lot of, sometimes ice does does play a factor. Um, and then there's some regions that don't check check things like that but what you're what you're typically um what you're typically trying to design for is is the wind majority of the time um and so wind is everywhere you can't get away from that if you're somewhere like florida or along the coast of texas or california of course you're going to be you're going to have a higher wind speed but then once you get to you know an area let's say 
uh, Montana or, you know, somewhere where there's a lot of snow up in the Northeast, um, you're considering those areas, you're considered that, that uh, effect as well. And so you're considering that on your structures and then also on your, your actual conductors as well. And then with, with that said, um, let's say in the summertime, you know, when it heats up, you're dealing with the, the electricity that's being carried through the, through the conductor as well, but then also the heat that's outside. And so the heat, the effect of the heat is going to um, cause you to have what's more of a sag. Okay. So let's say you're up in the Northeast and you're preparing for a, another one of their harsh winters. Is there anything in particular that you, that you can do to the lines to kind of prepare or brace yourself for the harsh climate that's coming? So I actually don't have, um, really, really any experience, um, working with, um, utility companies up in the Northeast. However, I do know that when, when they are designing a lot of the times, some of their factors, depending on which weather case you're designing, for or is your controlling case a lot of the times that will have you know a heavier um heavier low factor or something of that nature um to deal with that but um it also depends on the type of conductor that they may be using mm -hmm. um and then you know dealing with your foundation and things of that nature you're you're worried about you know where's your frost depth um mm -hmm. you know how deep does our foundation have to go how much soil do we have to neglect um so that's that's something dealing with the foundation and like i said in terms with the structure itself um you're dealing with that and also your conductors that's going those are going to be the most you know the key elements that you're that you're pretty much worried about uh, a lot of um utilities are you know work with contractors and things of that nature to figure out how to how to weather those those harsh storms or those winters and things of that nature but sometimes it's not it's not always a way around it so and that's a good point so so let me ask you so how does line sag affect the lines so it's going to it's going to affect your design. Um, that that's the biggest thing. Um, like on just you know it's, it's summertime right now, and you know on a on a you know a typical let's just take a spring day for instance. Uh, so if if it's just a normal spring day, sixty degree day, you know your your line is going to be um, you know it's not going to be sagging too much, right? Um, but then you've also got to consider what we call um, MOT or max operating temperature. Um, your max operating temperature is typically really high. Uh, for instance, if you're using, um, I'm just going to throw out a few conductors that I've come across. Um, you know, if you're using a ACSR conductor, um, that you know the max temperature is 248 degrees. If it's, um, you know, maybe a Sawani conductor or C7 or something like that, is going to be. 482 degrees so it, yeah it gets pretty high and then there's also uh, aac conductors as well that um that can do 340 um and all of those letters have they have a different meaning um and it all depends on the properties of those those different conductors um so the sag the sag is one dependent on what it's made out of um but it's also going to affect your design so for instance if you're if you're crossing a river um the nesc code says that there's a certain um distance that you have to be from the water or you know from the water at max sag or max operating temperature um the same thing will go for railroads um and then there's also a certain ground clearance just even if you're not passing over you know a a road or or a railroad or or any body of water or anything like that um you still got to maintain a um satisfactory clearance from the ground um so depending it all basically plays into what the client wants and mm -hmm. what they want to see and that will determine um 
you know, the SAG is going to play a big part into your into your design. And then on top of that, um, let's say you've got, you know, fiber or something like that. A lot of the times fiber is run somewhere in the middle um, and you don't want your conductor sagging down into your into your fiber um, cable as well. And then you don't want, you know, you don't want that to also be sagging into your distribution as well. Interesting. Well, hey, thanks for sharing that. So, you know, let's talk, let's kind of maybe briefly talk about some of the different structures and maybe some of the the pros and cons of these various structures. So let's start off with talking about some of the pros and cons of, say, a single wood pole structure. Pros and cons. So personally, (laughs) I deal with, uh, I'm just based on, you know, um, my background, grad school and things of that nature. I'm I'm typically used to doing everything with um, steel and concrete. Uh, and so, uh, when I first came into the industry, you know, I, you know, you see, you see these structures everywhere, whether they're wood, steel or concrete or whatever. Um, but wood poles, you know, they are the cheapest, uh, and most of the times they're going to be used for distribution. And when I say distribution, uh, it, the, the, that's basically just the voltage that is being, um, being carried, the, the voltage that's being carried. So it really just depends, but a lot of the times distribution will be, um, 12 kV uh, on down. Um, and when I say kV, that's kilovolts. Um, a lot of the times transmission will be, I've seen it can be 69 kilovolts on up, 69, 138, 230, 345, 500 and some change or, or whatever uh, it gets up there. So distribution a lot of the time is what is what is being carried on the, on those wood poles. Um, and there is transmission that is carried on, on some, Wood poles, however, most of the time that's, that's going to be older structures that are probably going to be changed out, um, you know, with with steel or concrete eventually. Um, right. Yeah. So I would I would say the the con of the the pro of, of, of wood poles is that they are cheaper uh, and they can be easily deployed. Um, you know, they can get out to the field, set them. And a lot of times they can be standardized pretty well. Most, um, I'm pretty sure all utilities have some sort of standardization table and things of that nature, you know, how far to embed it, um, you know, how, how much is going to be out the ground, things of that nature. Um, but the con is going to be the simple fact that they do not stay in place as easy. Um, and, and they just aren't as strong. Makes sense. All right. What about an H frame uh, wood pole structure? H frame. Uh, for me, an H frame is going to be is very similar. H frame wood structure is going to have the same cons as the um, as the wood pole. The only difference is that instead of you know one structure or one pole, you've got maybe two or three poles next to each other that are um, carrying maybe one or two circuits. Um, but for me, it's going to be the same thing. Um, they they do treat treat wood poles um but they just weather a lot faster as well and aren't as strong but the h the wood h frames are going to you know provide a little more uh, durability than the just the single wood pole that makes sense that makes sense well what about what about the single circuit uh, steel structure single circuit steel um that's more that's more my ball my ballpark um Pros are going to be that, you know, it is more durable. Um, It's also going to depend on whether it's a custom steel structure or if it is a standard steel structure. And so what I mean by that is um, when you are working with with different utilities, they're going to have different classes of steel, of wood and things of that nature. 
Um, so their standard poles are going to be, you know, only good for a certain load. Once you get over that particular load or that that design, um, you know, those different line angles, you've got to then go to what's called a custom steel or engineered steel pole. All right. So um, I'm assuming since there's a single one, there's got to be a double. Yes, there's right. double. So the uh, really the um, there's single circuit. You have double circuit. Um, I've ne I've never seen a. I haven't seen a triple circuit single pole. I think that would be kind of difficult to to actually design. But um, but yeah, there's definitely single and, and double, and they're they're carried on opposite sides of the pole. Okay. Mm -hmm. So a question that kind of is sitting in the back of my head here, and maybe you can help answer it, is well, I guess what would determine whether you're going to have underground lines or overhead? That's really all going to depend i have not done any underground design work all of my experiences in um overhead um however i know a lot of the times a lot of subdivisions depending on where you are they don't really want to see overhead power lines so a lot of that stuff gets buried um it also depends on it's, it's going to depend a lot on the 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 area that the i guess proposed lines are going in um i know a lot of neighborhoods newer neighborhoods actually pretty much anything a lot of stuff from 90s on is mm -hmm. is under underground um but then it also depends on what obstacles are there you know is there is there space underground um do you have space overhead and sometimes it, it, it really just just depends but i don't have uh, a ton of experience in in underground and that makes sense makes sense so does weather or climate play a, uh, any role in determining whether they're going underground or overhead it's not something that I've that I've heard um, particularly, but I definitely imagine it could be it could be a factor. Um, I believe that underground can sometimes end up being a lot more expensive, um, mm -hmm. depending on the route that you have to go, and um, you know what what conflicts you run into. Because if you think about it, there's several utilities already you know underground so if you're you know there's certain clearances that you have to have you still have to maintain when you're underground um from my understanding they're not as large as those um overhead but underground you still got to find some way to maintain maintain the clearance and then you've also got to take into account what's already existing underground sure yeah so so far you know some fascinating stuff you've been uh, you've been sharing with us so let me just maybe take a, a minute to go on a different path here so okay. at the beginning of the podcast you kind of gave a little bit of a background on your on your education so right. let me ask you when did you first decide that you know what engineering is the way that i want to go or the path that you want to travel um I, it, it happened a while ago uh i I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I would say it probably started when I was in seventh grade and I, I've, I've always liked drawing. I'm not going to say I'm the greatest <laughs> artist or anything of that nature. Um, I actually haven't drawn in a while, but I used to um, draw just city streets. Uh, my mom is from Philadelphia. And okay. so I was always really fascinated with the way that they had the streets set up and why they were named a certain way and which directions they went and stuff like that. So I, I talked to a city planner and he was like, oh, yeah, you should, you know, look into X, Y, Z. There's civil engineers that do this. Um, then when I got to high school, I still, you know, enjoyed drawing, but I always enjoyed drawing buildings and watching National Geographic specials mm -hmm. and just kind of learning more about the field, the field itself. Um, so then when I was when it was time to apply for college. I was like, okay, well, maybe I want to go into architecture. And I was actually going to go to um, University of Miami for 
for architecture. Um, but the tuition was was way too a lot more <laughs> than what my parents really wanted to pay. Sure. Um, so I went to uh, North Carolina A&T and it was actually a blessing in disguise because um, A&T doesn't have um, architecture. They oh. have they have architectural engineering, but not okay. architecture. And so I talked to people at A&T and I told them what I wanted to do. To I, what I wanted to do. And they said, you know, it sounds like you more so want to be on the civil side of things because I told them I wanted to know about loading and, and things of stuff like that. And so um, I went into civil engineering and, and structures became my uh, this my strong area. And it kind of just just went from there. Um, after that, I um, I went to grad school and I did my, my research, wrote my thesis on bridge testing, um, things of that nature. Interesting. It's, it's, it's funny, you, you kind of realized early on and kind of at least narrowed it down between architecture and engineering, then you, you were able to narrow it down from there. But right. what I'm curious now is you, you you talked about, you know, being from mom being from Philly, right? So right. I've never been to Philly. So now when you said that there's a way that they name their streets and design their streets, and I'm curious, can you kind of expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so I, so I haven't gotten a chance to, to learn all of it. But um, so if you know anything about Philly, um, Philly's two like most major streets are Broad Street and, and Market Street. And once you get downtown, they meet at this square. They cut mm-hmm. off for like maybe less like less than a quarter of a mile and then they start back up. And that separates the north and the south. So North Broad Street runs north, north and in a north and south direction, and Market Street runs in the east and west direction. Um, everything, once you get, I want to say once you get west of that square, west of downtown, all the streets are named after um after after trees pine street spruce street um and then also uh when i lived in tulsa oklahoma uh, i moved to tulsa right after i finished my masters and all the streets there are in alphabetical order um once you hit main street in tulsa uh, if you're east of main street all the city all the streets are named after um cities east of the mississippi and then everything west of west of main street is named after um, cities west of the Mississippi River, and so and, and they're in alphabetical order. So they go east eastward in. They go A B C, I believe, and then it does the same <laughs> thing on the on the western side. So that's interesting. I never knew there was actually like a method to the madness of naming streets. So now I'm going to be kind of curious and have to figure out how they started naming streets in uh, in Ohio yeah. and and get to the bottom of that. That's interesting. Well, hey, thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. So. So you were pretty lucky, you know, found out early on, you know, kind of the path that you wanted to go. So let's say some um, high school junior approaches is, hey, James, you know, I'm getting ready to apply some colleges and I'm thinking about getting into engineering. What kind of advice would you give that individual? Well, first, I'd tell them to definitely do research on their own and and learn about all of those get some some learning of what all of the engineering fields do um and so I, w- I would tell them to do that first and then i can talk to them about you know whatever they they looked at they can ask me more questions um but then the the big thing which which can be kind of hard you know being a junior in high school or you know even a college student um what is it that you that you want to do with this? And, and I, that can kind of be one of those situations where you're putting the the chicken before before the uh, before the egg. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't you don't know what you know until you get to a certain point. Um, but I, w- I would definitely tell them, you know, what is what is your passion? What do you want to do with this? Um, and then also, is it really engineering that you want to do? Because a lot of people, you know, they hear, oh, engineering. 
and that that equals money. But a lot of the times that a lot, I feel like when people go into it with that mindset, they don't always tr- try to get the basics. A lot of times it's just about, okay, let me just get through past these classes, mm-hmm. but you're not learning the concept of it. So I, that, I would tell them, learn the concepts of things, um, get the basics, and then that'll make everything else a tad bit easier, um, you know, in terms of licensure, um, getting your FE and stuff like that. That's some good advice. So speaking of FE, how did you take it when you were a senior in college or did you take it a couple of years after you got graduated? How far removed were you from college <laughs> where that uh, you took the FE? So that's actually an inter- interesting question. And to be honest with you, I did I did take it my um, my senior year in college and I actually I actually struggled with it. Um, and so it took me a few tries um, before I got it. Um, so I, I was uh, maybe into my uh, third year of working um, when, when I passed when I passed my FE. Um, and yeah, it was it was a bit of a journey, but I think it was more so because of um, the way that I learned. And I had to learn that about myself before I could really um, move forward and, and understand. Um, and I would tell anybody, you know, that has struggled with the FE or is struggling with the FE, don't don't give up. You know, there's a lot of people that, you know, make it seem like it's it's just easy, but you know, nobody in my family, um, what I don't have any engineers in my family, um, and not many people to look up to. So it wasn't really like, you know, someone, you know, honor uncle could just say, Oh, let me help you with this problem. You know, I had to seek out friends or either, you know, other people that had, um, either the same issues or, um, had their PE and, and stuff like that. But yes, I did take it, um, before graduating from, from undergrad, um, I just wasn't fortunate enough to pass at the time, but I, the key is to not give up. It doesn't matter when you finish it. Um, it's just being a matter of of taking the time, being determined and, and knocking it out. No, I agree. You know, sometimes out of, you know, from failures come great success. Right. And, um, you know, a lot of times people do take something once and they're like, they go back and maybe they try it a second time and they don't make it and then they just give up. So mm-hmm. what kept you going each time? Like, you know, like, let's say you didn't pass you, like what drove you to continue to keep pushing and pushing until you got through? Right. I, I knew that I knew that I wanted it um, and I knew it was was part of part of my purpose. I knew that I also um, could be an example to others. You know, um, other people need to see people go through things and know that they're they're not alone. So the the main thing was that I had a goal that I wanted to reach even when I was in college. Uh, I always knew that I wanted my my P.E. And so that was something I wasn't going to give up on. That's a great success story. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, you know, a lot of people, they're afraid to admit that they didn't take or they didn't pass it on the first time. But, you know, they're not alone. It's just, right. you know, it's how you overcome that challenge. And it's great to hear a story where, you know, you openly say, hey, you know, I struggled, but, you know, I kept persevering and, and I got to where I wanted to be. And that, that's that's great. So, uh, you know, thanks for sharing that with the, with the audience here today. No problem. Um, you know, one of the great things I find about engineering is that there's so many different avenues that you can go down. You can go from bridges right. to buildings, traffic, construction, you know, water resource or uh, wastewater plants. So, you know, kind of knowing that there's so many different avenues for you to go down and what, maybe there's one thing or two things that have surprised you about engineering that you might want to share with us today. Yeah. So I would say that since, well, in, in, speaking of engineering or, or civil engineering or, or just both, maybe? Oh, just engineering as a whole. Okay. Um, you know, because you're right, it's civil, there's many options, and you have other disciplines, mechanical, electrical. Right. But, you know, what has surprised you is that you've seen in your uh, experience being an engineer? 
I'm surprised by how specific um, certain industries can be uh, and also how the, the crossover between certain industries and, and even how, how the different uh, disciplines of engineering work together. Uh, for instance, you know, like I'm civil. When I got to grad school, I was very surprised to see how much how many mechanical engineers, um, you know, were doing some of the same stuff that I was doing or how much it was was somewhat related to electrical engineering um, and some of the classes that they take. Even though I hadn't taken those classes, I was like, oh, OK, this is interesting how there's kind of a, a crossover here. Uh, like my advisor, he he had his Ph.D. in civil engineering, but his his master's and his bachelor were in um, in mechanical engineering. And then I started to take note of like, OK, this is. I see mechanical engineers doing some of some of the same things that I'm doing. Uh, another thing is, is that um, within civil engineering, even though it's already broad, it, it can be, you know, even broader. Even if you go, if you say, OK, I'm a structural engineer. Well, what type of structural engineer are you? Right. Like like I'm I'm not in I don't do stuff with bridges and things mm -hmm. of that nature anymore. I'm in uh, the utilities industry or the ener energy industry. Then you've got the telecom industry. Uh, then you have some people that are strictly in you know, concrete design, um, you know, steel design, just, it just kind of all depends. And then each one of those subsets becomes more and more, um, you know, broken down. You know, I, I agree. And, 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 you know, it's kind of funny as I was, um, preparing for today's podcast, you know, I was, I was going through some of the questions and I was like, Oh, I'm going to be talking with a, an electrical engineer today. You know, I saw <laughs> transmission, I saw these utility, and then, you know, power lines, things like that. And then I'm like, Holy cow. He's a civil engineer working for you, right. you know, doing utility. So, I mean, even I was surprised. And so uh, that's pretty fascinating that there are so many things that you can do in the field of engineering. So, uh, you know, it's been it's been a lot of fun talking with you today. And, you know, as we're kind of nearing the end, there's I kind of got to ask you, you know, mm -hmm. you know, can you, can you talk about your experiences as being president of the National Black Society of Engineers? Yeah. Yeah, I was. Um, so I've, I've been involved with um, with with National Society of Black Engineers uh, since my freshman year in college. Uh, then I, I became I was treasurer for two years and then I became president of that chapter when I was at North Carolina A&T. And um, uh, Nesby has, has showed me a lot of stuff, has, has developed my professionalism, um, has also put me in a lot of great networking places. Uh, there's people I've met all around the country just from going to conferences or being on conference calls. Um, learning about leadership, but then also, um, you know, finding out about jobs and things of that nature. And I'm still involved with Nesby today. Even after I left A&T, um, myself and a few other individuals founded a chapter in Northwest Arkansas when I was at uh, University of Arkansas. And then when I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, I started a chapter there as well. And uh, now I'm I'm involved with the chapter here in Houston. Uh and I still go to the conferences and, and things of that nature. So it, it's been great. Um, being president was definitely something that helped me grow as an individual, helped my skills as not necessarily being a manager, but being being a leader, but also uh, knowing how to to keep a whole executive board together. That's fascinating. Hey, thanks for sharing that. So, you, you know, you've lived in Tulsa and you're in Houston now. Yes, I lived. Well, yes, I lived in. Tulsa, and then I lived in Dallas, and now I'm in Houston. All right, so I got to ask you this question. This has absolutely nothing to do with engineering, but I'm going to fire away anyways. So thinking of Houston and Dallas, are we thinking Rockets or Mavericks? Neither. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, if, if I had to pick, it would definitely be the Rockets. Um, 
you know, the people closest to me, they all they all root for, for the Rockets. Um, but I've never been a Mavericks fan. Never have. Um, when I was growing up, my dad didn't like the Mavericks. So I, by default, didn't really like the Mavericks. Um, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Hawks fan. Everything Atlanta, um, always Atlanta first. Um, but I'm a really big Lakers fan when it comes to basketball. Just always been a Kobe fan. Always been a Lakers fan since yeah. 96. I'm telling you, you just made me light up here. I, you know, I grew up in Southern California. I'm a huge Laker okay. fan. I grew okay. up watching Magic and Kareem and all that. And then, yeah, huge Kobe fan. I was in actually in L.A. on business um, for Kobe's last game. Oh, wow. um, and that was incredible. So I almost asked you if you were a Hawks fan, but I'm still, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, he's a Braves <laughs> fan. He can't be a Hawks fan, too. But good to hear that you're a Lakers fan. Um, yep. What do you think of the uh, Westbrook pickup? I think it's going to be interesting. It could go. It could go either way. Um, I I think that LeBron is a is a great leader, and I think that I I think that Westbrook maybe hasn't been the leader that some teams needed, um, but I I think that LeBron could could kind of tighten that and bring that together because um, he's a great player. It's just oh, sometimes sure. doesn't always make the best decisions when it comes to shooting the, th the threes. So I'm hoping that with with the combination of LeBron. Um, AD and mm -hmm. Westbrook, they can really do some, do some, you know, do some, some damage to, to the league this year. Um, but I, I think it, it, it could, it could be, it could be good, but if it doesn't go good, I'm kind of afraid to see what might happen. Yeah. It's either going to work well or it's going to blow up. Um, mm -hmm. I think they're definitely going to be a faster team than they were uh, last year with Westbrook running the point. Right. Um, I will say this past uh, NBA uh, playoff season, I was uh, surprised with the, how well the Hawks played. Yeah, me too. I I was, I you know I I was thoroughly thoroughly happy. I wish we had gotten a little bit further, but I, I think um we'll we'll pull it out this year. We'll we'll get to yeah. to the to the finals. Trey Young matchup against LeBron would be pretty interesting to see in the finals for sure. It would. Um, I am going to say you redeem yourself, James. You know, beginning of the uh, <laughs> podcast, uh, hearing you're a Braves fan, me being an Indians fan, I thought we were going to have a a rough go, but you being a Laker fan, it kind of mended the fences there. Uh -huh. Um. But, hey, you know, I appreciate you coming out here and spending some time with us. You know, I'd Thank love you. to have you back. There's so much other stuff I'd like to uh, ask you and learn about, the, you know, what you do and, and things like that. So I'd love to have you back. Um, but to everyone else, you know, appreciate you guys tuning in for another episode here. And we'll be back next week. And, James, thank you so much for joining us and have a wonderful afternoon. No problem. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. My pleasure. Take care.